All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard Issue for all women. Oi, and indeed oi. Welcome to episode 19 of the Standard Issue pod scene. I'm Mickey Noonan, and my favourite Muppet is Fozzie Bear. I'm joined by... I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and this week I got a double mattress down a flight of stairs and out of the front door by my motherfucking self. Well done, mate. I know, I was like that fish on Blue Planet that were trying to move that half a um, a coconut shell. I love it when you tell me about the fish. And I'm Jen Offord, and if I'd been a boy, my parents would have named me Philip, which I think is an error. My parents... Philip Offord. Philip Offord. Philip Offord, that's shit, isn't it? Offord. Gotta be careful when your surname starts with a vowel. It's a vowel, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well done, Jen. <laughs> Jen's on Countdown and next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to be With her Stuart. brother, fuck. Yeah. Um, I was going to be Stuart. Stuart Noonan. Mm. Well, I was going to be Michael for ages, but then my dad... Hi, Dad. You can't be listening. Uh, my dad said, but we've already got a Michael in the family. And my mum said, yeah, but no one calls him Michael. They all call him Mickey. And he said, no. Uh, and I ended up being Mickey anyway. Well, That's that. ridiculous because everybody in my family shares about four names. Yeah. Apart from you, you're an original, aren't you? I am. The original Dunley. The original Dunley. <laughs> Later on, I chat to Amanda Palmer. That's right, Amanda fucking Palmer about her latest release, Mother. And I also have a good old chops with the excellent Liz Buckley about the crackerjack powerhouse that is Björk. 
We've had a visit from the excellent actress, writer and activist Libby Liebert and we talked to her about her play Motherhood and about life as a single mother. Sarah helps a listener with his ice cream addiction in Sarah Millican's Question Time and I wang on about sports stuff. <laughs> it's more interesting than that, probably. And I do Disney's Dumbo. Ooh. That wasn't my impression of an elephant, by the way. Flying. What? <laughs> Spoiler alert. Soz. But first, wanking, crying and the pop star Pope. Oh yeah, and baby Jesus. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we say pretty, please, to the burning pile of humanity's hopes and dreams that is the world we currently live in. Okay, let's talk about Louis C.K.'s Apoloki. I mean, Apoloki. Oh, you know when he said, Sawi! Bloody hell, maybe he's right, and it is impossible to say. Hang on, hang on. I'm sorry for repeatedly getting my todger out and abusing myself <laughs> to completion in front of women who were very much not up for that. Nope. Louis, that was easy as pie. But instead, CK released a statement that spent more time basking in how damn admired he is, well, was, probably still is by a lot of fanboys, by the comedy industry and by the women he harassed. In fact, he uses a variation on the word admired in relation to himself three times and the word sorry, zero, which is a shit ratio for an apology. Anyone wondering whether masturbating in front of a woman without her consent is really, you know, bad, it is. It's a power move. It's threatening. It's intimidating. It's scary. Add to the mix that this is a man with huge power in the comedy industry, an industry that's still hugely male-dominated, and it's a real cunt trick that CK's pulled. At least five times. Also, he's actively silenced these women by staying silent and scoffing when asked questions about accusations that have been around for many years. Okay, a quick lesson in how to apologise for anyone unsure of the etiquette. 1. Acknowledge you've been a grade A fuckknuckle before you're outed by the New York Times. 2. Use the word sorry. 3. Don't be a self-serving, self-pitying sack of shit. Oh yes, the ongoing flood of men unmasked as sexual abusers continues to wreak havoc amongst a certain type of man who is left wondering, often publicly, how far this will all go. Soon men won't even be able to say hello to women in the street, they tweet, bleat, opine in their well-paid newspaper columns. Now, we didn't have a vote and make me in charge of women, although if it does come with a grace and favour house, I will consider it. I will vote for you. But I think I can safely say that, guys, if you're listening, it's pretty simple. If you want to say hello to a woman, do it. Mm -hmm. And as long as you don't touch her or yourself while you're doing it, you're good. But it's such a complicated rule. (laughs) Just to add... Louis C.K. is a father of two daughters. Harvey Weinstein has four daughters. Roy Moore, the Republican Senate candidate for Alabama, alleged to have had sexual contact with a girl of 14 when he was 32, has one daughter. The phrase, as a father of daughters, can absolutely jog on. Moving on from uh, sexual harassment momentarily. Prime Minister Theresa May attempted to assert some influence at the tail end of last week's shit show on Downing Street. Borrowing the Daily Telegraph's respected voice of reason, or something, Teabag told the public slash swivel-eyed loons who read the Telegraph, let no one doubt our determination or question our resolve. Brexit is happening. It will be there in black and white on the front page of this historic piece of legislation. 
The United Kingdom will be leaving the EU on March 29th, 2019, at 11pm GMT. Will Big Ben be bonging by then? I'm not sure. No, I, th- I don't think it's happening. I think that was the point. I know, they wanted it to making. happen, didn't they? They wanted it to happen. Yeah, right? for that historic moment that she's laid out quite specifically. And if that doesn't sound like a hostage to fortune... Because she has been very specific on the time in there. Let's face it, the chances, however, of Teabag actually having to sit this one out are about as likely as Andrew Neil finding the right shade of nice and easy in time for next election night. Uh, Nice and easy. Her Majesty the Queen made the front pages by doing a tiny cry while remembering the war dead this week. Canal, she showed emotion, squawked the Daily Mail, but much more reverently. What next? Rain falling upwards, 24-hour daylight, Bono et al. paying their fucking taxes. Proof, if indeed more proof were needed, that we are living in terrifying times. And while America descends into the kind of place where a president addresses a tweet to all the haters, and nobody seems to have any objections to a man accused of paedophilia running for public office, the strangest story of the week actually involved Rand Paul's broken ribs. Paul if you don't know, Senator from Kentucky, one-time Republican presidential hopeful, qualified doctor of medicine, public anti-vaxxer, and sweatiest son of libertarian Senator Ron Paul, whose mostly young male followers were kind of like a John the Baptist for the Bernie bros. Paul suffered six broken ribs when he was attacked by his next-door neighbour while on a ride on mower. Can I just say that you love a ride on mower? I do. That's the only cool thing about are about Rand Paul is that he owns a ride on mower. The neighbour, who is also a doctor, is one René Boucher, which we all know is French for René, stop punching me. <laughs> René. <laughs> uh, no, really, it's French for René the butcher, which is frankly even better. Now, what makes this story so nuts is that no one, not Paul's people, not the butcher's people, <laughs> are talking about what the hell this is about which has led to a whole load of incredibly pointless but incredibly fun speculation, to which I might as well add my two penny. Oh, please do. Because if you consider the fact that the butcher entered his not guilty plea in a place called Bowling Green, (gasps) you have to start to accept that perhaps Kellyanne Conway can see into the future because weirder shit has happened. The only thing that could make this story better is if you please tell me that the butcher is actually Daniel Day-Lewis with a ridiculously pleasing twirly moustache. It's not. They did apparently say that the dispute was on something that other people would find really trivial. Based on Rand Paul's previous opinions on vaccinations, I think probably means measles. Awesome. I'm just wondering, how many ribs do people have? I think 24. Oh, that's, so that's, that's like a thought. quarter but of all these lot. ribs. But that's a lot. Like yeah. six ribs is, feels significant, right? You do know that men would have had more if God hadn't taken oh, fucking women. Donny J. Trump. Oh, Donald fucking Trump. Hit the news. Hit the news? Hit the headlines. Hit the headlines again this week. Quite like hit the news. <laughs> hit the news. He hit, he literally hit Six. with his tiny hand. Uh, for being a Twitter twat just for a change. (laughs) And to be clear, he definitely didn't insult Kim Jong-un. He tweeted, (laughs) Why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me old when I would never call him short and fat? Oh, well, I try so hard to be his friend and maybe someday that will happen. Dear diary. (laughs) (laughs) Trump, try harder, mate. 
for the sake of avoiding nuclear war, try so much harder. I kind of think what Hannah said about Dear Diary has a point. I imagine at the back of his diary, Trump has got like two columns. Friends? Question mark. Enemies? Question mark. People have been mean to me. Oh no, three columns. Four columns. Great things I have done today, better than anybody has ever done them. Yeah, I, I don't know. Can you imagine Trump, tiny baby Trump? Imagine him. Imagine him, guys, in the sandpit. How good at making friends do we think he was on a scale of one to really lonely? <laughs> um, yeah. Meanwhile, over at the Vatican, Pope Francis put out an appeal for people to stop recording masses on their mobile phones and instead had themselves a little think about Jesus. Apparently, the pontiff's gigs have started to resemble Glastonbury as everyone strains to get something they can show to or brag to their mates slash prayer circle about. Personally, I think the guy's got a point here. It's a slippery slope with this sort of thing, isn't it? One minute, they're recording his sermons on their phone. Next, they're holding their lighters aloft during transubstantiation. Next, some guy will be pissing in a pint glass and lobbing it during Peace Be With You. If it's good enough for Solange Knowles... (laughs) Who, who has done gigs recently where she's demanded that you leave your phone at the door. Oh, I thought you meant she demanded that the people, people throw piss. Yeah, she, that's what she's all about, that. She loves it. Um, no. They don't, they don't like it, do they? With your phones and shit. Anyway, talking of Jesus... Yeah, I um, like it. Hmm? like talking about Jesus, mate. <laughs> we all do. As John Lewis unveiled this year's Christmas advert... Britain dabbed a misty eye at the heartwarming spirit of Yuletide Joy. No, not the tale of one boy's quest to get some kip in the face of capitalist hijinks with the monster living under his bed to a predictably insipid musical accompaniment by Mortgage Rocker's Elbow. Advertising agencies once again feeling the warm and fuzzy glow of Christmas as it was announced they were set to rake in six billion quid off the back of convincing people with no money to spend it on shit their kids don't need. And after all, it is no doubt what Jesus would have wanted. I've got to say, though, when I was a kid, one of the best bits of the year was when we got the Argos catalogue and um, me and my sister and my cousins would go through it and, like, circle things. We knew we couldn't have, but just, like, go through it and, like, have a lovely time. And recently um, we had a family bereavement and my sister came to stay with me and she was very sad. And to cheer her up, I literally picked up the Tesco gift catalogue and we did exactly what we used to do when we were, like, six. And... It worked a treat. Not, we don't expect to get the unicorn sweater, unless Santa's listening, obviously. Um, but it was quite fun to go through that. And I feel like even the adverts are now too full on. They ruin the whole joy God, of... Do you remember when, shit. like, the most exciting thing, because we would do the same thing, but, you know, with the Little Woods catalogue. Um, I think we can all see the class division in the standard issue. <sighs> Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, and... Uh, My parents used to let me just, like, rifle through a sack of shit to see what <laughs> shit I wanted. I can tell you what Jesus would not have wanted. Any guesses? What would Jesus not want? Lots of things. Donald J. Trump for president? I don't think he'd want that. I don't think he'd like that. But white supremacy? I'm pretty sure... I don't think he'd like that. As, as, an, as, an as a non, non-white, non-white man. man yeah. <laughs> OK, but above all of those things... What he would not have wanted is for Nutella to faff with its recipe. Nutella, guys, right? Fans of the chocolate spread are doing their nut, thanks to a change that means there's even more sugar in what was already a sugar fest in a jar. Yeah. Manufacturers Ferrero confirm that Nutella now contains 8.7% powdered skim milk instead of its previous 75 
taking its sugar tally to 56.3%. When are chocolate makers going to realise that we don't like change? I can't even look at a Toblerone anymore. That's a lie. I'd totally still eat one. Has anyone got a Toblerone? I've not been to an airport recently, so no, I don't. More news next week. But before that, I did actually have something else that I wanted to add, which was this week I watched An Open Secret, which is a documentary by Amy Berg, who also made Little Girl Blue, which is the documentary about Janis Joplin, which is excellent. She won an Oscar for her documentary about abuse in the Catholic Church, and she made it about paedophilia in Hollywood. And... It got no interest at all. It wasn't released. Nobody would back it. Nobody would support it. It wasn't released. Then the producers and her got involved in a bit of a dispute over whose fault it was that it hadn't been publicised properly, etc., etc. Without wanting to comment on that, you can't help but feel perhaps that's something led by frustration of making something and it not being able to... Particularly when you're an Oscar winner, yeah. who's already made a fairly what would have been seen as controversial oh, No, but I think girl. also the producers. There was a, a labour of love for them. They paid for it and they, they got no... Not getting financial return isn't really the point in this. If you make a film like that, it's because you want people you want to watch it. awareness, absolutely. So they did upload it to Vimeo uh, and it was originally going to stay up for a couple of weeks but then with everything that's happened with the Harvey Weinstein thing they have left it up there now indefinitely so you are not ripping them off by watching it if you choose to watch it there they want you to watch, they want you to watch it I'll post the link at some point maybe in our um, on my um, that done leave on Twitter maybe I'll post it on there and obviously we'll put it in the description in the, yeah. for this show Obviously, it is really alarming and it's upsetting and you have to be aware it's about child abuse and it's about young boys that had advantage taken of them. It's important to watch it, I think. So if you've got you've got it in your gut to be able to get through that and watch it, it is worth doing because it's a conversation that really needs to happen. And while we're here, one of the things that we want to talk to you about being up yeah. to is the gig that we've got on Sunday. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, this will be the gig on Sunday, which is November the 19th, and it is at the Shaw Theatre in London. And it's a little bit different from my usual gigs. But there's a big reason for that. Jen, do you want to tell us a bit more? Yes, okay. So gender inequality is shit for everyone. Um, It's shit for women because of... Well, you probably know why it's shit for women if you're listening to us. But it's also shit for men because men bloody kill themselves all the time, don't they? Suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of... 45 or 50, I think it is a disputed... Oh, um, has it gone up? I think it's disputed between different factions of the uh, debate. Um, I have some, sadly, personal experience in this, in that my brother, in fact, killed himself when he was 25, and we think that International Men's Day is a good day to shine a light on these issues and talk about why gender inequality sucks for all people, not just women, and hopefully we can raise a bit of awareness about that. And uh, also we'll be shaking a bucket or two for the charity, the Campaign Against Living Miserably, also known as CALM. Uh, and hopefully we can make a few quid for them. Sarah Mellican, our Sarah, will be on stage. I will be asking the questions. The guests are men. I know. Get, a, yeah. get the fuck out. Sure. Letting them speak, guys. I know. I know. Only for a, a limited time. Only. Yeah. Exactly. And then they can fuck off. <laughs> and we have we have some great guests. We have Richard Osman, Sanjeev Baskar, comedian Tom Allen, who is fantastic. Uh, I mean, they're all fantastic, but we love Tom Allen. And also Ellis James, who you might know from his podcast. 
Uh, yeah, the Ellis and John podcast is one of my favourite podcasts. And yeah. also, I was on the Shamewell, guys. Just if you listen to it, that will make sense to you. Oh, no, I will not tell you who I was on the Shamewell. Probably best you don't, mate. <laughs> but yeah, come along, because it is important, I think, that we talk about these things. Jen's right about the issue of suicide. Nobody needs to be living miserable. Living miserably. Living live miserable. I'm going Norfolk off you, Hannah. We're back to Morrissey. No, no one needs to be living miserable. <laughs> they don't. Men also do other things. Men and men self-medicate with alcohol, with drugs, with all sorts of things. And they're taught... And it doesn't need to keep happening. Men are taught, socially conditioned, mm. not to talk about emotions. Ah. That they're supposed to keep everything, like, buttoned up. Yeah. And it's just bullshit. You know, real men don't cry. Fuck off. Of course they cry because stuff hurts. Yeah, we've had a couple of people say to us, you know, International Men's Day has some quite dark origins. That doesn't matter. The point is, We're we it. can reclaim that because somebody needs to be talking about it because Robert Webb is doing a fantastic job, but he is but one man. And mm. it would be helpful if, if other people got involved. And also, just to point out, a lot of the things that are shit for men are the reason why there's so much shit for women yeah. as well. Like the idea of toxic masculinity, the idea of this, you know, all the stuff we're seeing in the media at the moment about harassment and whatnot is because of the gender divide that's that's where it comes from it's not because men are born harassers no, or, you no, know no like it's born, it, this yeah. is all social conditioning and and actually we have a responsibility to play our part in that oh and just because uh, just in case all of you decide to start tweeting uh, richard herring there is an international women's day and if you want to know when it is fucking google it <laughs> quite we have been tweeting links to where you can get tickets for this gig uh, so have a look on Twitter uh, it'll probably be in the newsletter as well and it'll be on Sarah's website on our page there with all of our events which is sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue more news next week well you have equal pay but you know they're not equal are they sexism of the week it's that time of the week where we discover there are even more sexist ways to put three lines on a Colombian model than you already imagined. Adidas found themselves in hot water last week as they unveiled the new Colombia men and women's football kits. While the men's kit was given its first outing by James Rodriguez, the Bayern Munich player and obviously Colombia international, uh, the women's was modelled by... Do you think it was modelled by a member of the women's team? You... No, maybe a member of the women's parliament? No? How about a member of the, the of just women? Just normal women? Everyday women? It was a member of women, Ooh. but but this particular woman was in fact former Miss Columbia, Pauline Vega Dieppa. Paulina, do you think? Pauline seems like... <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Pauline, put this kit on. Pauline Vega Dieppa. Uh, do you think her husband's been at the Christmas Club money? Uh, yeah, um, so former Miss Columbia, uh, rather than a member of the team. So the team's goalkeeper, Vanessa Cordoba. Cordoba? I love that every time Jen says something Spanish, she looks to me... Oh, sorry. So, yeah, Spanish. She looks to me and Hannah to verify. <laughs> a woman from Wigan and a woman from Newport Pagnell. Um, it's because... Unos, dos, tres, something. <laughs> Cuatro? I don't fucking know. I'm from Essex. Team, co- team goalkeeper Vanessa Cordoba rightly pointed out that, I mean, I'm not sure this is rightly, but uh, though she understood, you know, marketing and that, um, maybe just out of respect and merit, one of the players should have had the kit first. 
Um, can we take off the maybe? Let's just ditch the maybe. Yeah. I think she's got a point there. It's it's absolutely fucking staggering. To be fair to the Columbia Football Federation, they, they backed this. It very much appears to have been Adidas's bad. It's so disappointing because the other week, sexism of the week was about the Adidas campaign. And Adidas were being victimised for actually, like, showing... Victimised. You can't victimise a massive corporation, can you? But they were in the news because they had got a model who is an amazing woman and... Whose name escapes me? I'm sorry. But she had hairy legs and they'd just gone with that. And Mm. they were like, yeah, this is, like, what some women look like and what some women want to look like and what some women don't want to look like. And Mm. it's all about choice. And now they are basically just spiting off... Biting off their nose to shoot themselves in the foot. It is well shit, isn't it? Because um, women spiting off the stable door <laughs> after the milk's been spilled. After the shoes. What the bolted. fuck did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> it's good though. It's true. They have been spiting off the stable door after the milk's been spelt. <laughs> spelt. <laughs> um, but they had a really good opportunity to give a big up to a women's sports team that they like... quite clearly support because make, there's all that make the kid so yeah i think it's it's absolutely mind-boggling to me that it even occurred to them not to just i don't i don't oh, even understand on. oh come on jen we all know that if a woman if a woman's body looks capable of doing something and it looks strong that is not sexy you don't want her to be able to run if we learned anything from hollywood and louis ck is that running is not an attractive no. trait in women <laughs> Just, just sit there. Uh, no, she's. Uh, it's really the picture's really like she's really like uh, that Instagram selfie. I mean, it's not an Instagram selfie, obviously, but it's really like. And I don't want to do her down because, to be fair, like she's just been asked to do a job and she's doing the job that she does for a living. Fair enough, right? But I just think that it that it even occurred to them that anyone other than a member of that team should be the person to wear the shirt. It's just baffling isn't it you think mm-hmm. like around the table at adidas they were like do women even play football is this is this a go is this a, is this a joke you kind of like you'd expect that sort of shit from you know if you buy like sports clothes from i don't know any women's shopping outlet retailer fashion retailer whatever like you expect to see it worn by a model right i like, get all of my sportswear from ann summers <laughs> exactly. You expect to see it worn by someone with nipple tassels, but uh, but if you buy it from a sports brand that makes the kit of the team, I don't know. It's just absolutely. It's just bullshit, isn't yeah, it? I want to see one of the players? Hi, we're here in the studio with. Actress, writer, activist, Libby Liebert. Hello. 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 <laughs> and as we just discovered, also used to be a boxer. Yes, yes I did. She's yes, a woman indeed. of many talents. Well, many, many talents. She's in today to talk to us about her play, Motherhood. Motherhood, okay. And Are also, you doing a deliberate Cockney accent? Or is that how it's spelled? That's Hannah? how it's spelled, okay. Motherhood. That is how it's spelled, Motherhood. Yeah. And also about society's attitudes to... Single mothers in mm-hmm. general. Yes, indeed. So this is the second run of your play you're doing now, isn't it? Well, it's kind of, it's had um, a lot of incarnations along the way. It's developed slowly. So the first version I did of it was back in 2015 and it was a little 20 minutes. 
Um, so then it ran, it, I got it up from 20 minutes to 60 minutes. It ran a couple of times as work in progress and then it did a full run last year. Yeah. And then this is the full run again for this year. So that was quite a long answer to a short question. Yeah, it's the second is one. It, is yeah. it still a one woman show? It's still a one woman show. Yes, indeed. You use like technology and stuff though, right? I use all sorts of projections. I've got music. I've got the occasional hat. Do you have a clicker? No. Oh, mate. I wish I had one. Ambition, though. It's good to have ambition. Something to look forward to. I don't have a clicker. I have a technician, though. So, you know, that's all right, isn't it? So tell us a little bit about what motherhood the play is about. So it has been described, I think it's quite a good description, as part stand-up, part TED Talk, part verbatim. So originally what I started off with was um, interviewing other single mums to put together what I thought was going to be just a verbatim kind of vagina monologue style piece, maybe a bit of talking heads type thing. And what happened was when I interviewed all these mums, if I backtrack a little bit, being a single mum's really isolating. You do feel like your experience is just you. That's it. And it's just what's happening to you. When I started interviewing all these other mums, I was like, mm, we're all talking about the same things. We're all going through the same things. These are difficulties for all of us, issues for all of us, problems for all of us. And I started to think, is there some way of connecting the dots? So at that point, I then started to do all the research into the government policy and all the you know really nasty things people have said about single mums over the years. And at that point, then the show kind of developed out from there. So it wasn't just verbatim. There's this big section of the show where it's like a TED talk where I'm going through all the policy and all the stuff that people have said about single mums over the years and how government has discriminated against single mums. And so that's how it has kind of come to pass. It's, it's autobiographical as well. So it's just it's just not a traditional piece of theatre. It's not like I can say there's this storyline running yeah. through it or anything like that. It's not a traditional piece of theatre at all. So your son yeah. is 17. Yeah, how coming up long, 17. How long were you... Have you been alone as a single parent? God, 10 years. 10 years. Have attitudes changed in that 10 years? Uh, My attitude's changed. (laughs) His attitude has changed. Um, I'd love to say they have. I'm not sure they have. I'm really not sure they have at all. I did a video for The Guardian in January. It was released at the start of this year. And I got trolled to within an inch of my life. Oh, so you were benefit for a benefit just like everything, just taking everything that yeah, society can throw at you. Everything. Yeah, yeah. So all the old stereotypes came out through the trolling. So it, it you know, it's quite ironic, isn't it, when you do a video about what is society's problem with single mums, and then you get trolled by people going, Oh, I ain't got no problem with single mums, it's just you, rah, 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 that kind of thing. So I don't think we have moved on necessarily. I think we're maybe starting. I think there's maybe a a, a little shift. It's weird the mm. way that society looks at single mums. So my mum was a single mum and mm. she was fucking awesome. And I look at what my mum did now and, and clearly I didn't appreciate it at the time because I was a kid, but bits of me got it. Like I would yeah. like hide apparently I used to hide letters in my school bag when they were asking for money and then go oh I forgot we were going on this trip I knew that we didn't have money I know right I was adorable who knows what happened um only two percent of single mothers are teenagers and everyone is always like what what I didn't know that wow really two percent you know it's tiny tiny minuscule statistic and when I say that to people people are still astounded by that stat 
a lot of my research led to, so I did like a year's worth of research on this topic, and it led back to a guy called Charles Murray, who people don't <gasps> yeah. seem to. Have I missed. know you about do this fabulous, frick, yeah, the American okay. guy. Yeah, so Charles Murray yeah. is an American right-wing sociologist. Yeah, we studied him, and he was paid University, in yeah. 1989. The Sunday Times paid him to come to Britain. Yeah, and the and underclass he find the underclass the term, he? find yeah. the underclass, yeah. and he actually said that the underclass was a very specific type of single mother and he said that single mother posed such a severe threat to civilised society that the only way to deal with them was to impose really severe financial penalties so he said that in 89 so that was something that he'd put out there immediately that the best way of dealing with these particular single mothers that caused such a terrible threat to society was to financially disempower them and that's run through policy ever since so, you know, yeah, we can talk about Thatcher and Blair and so on and so forth. But when we talk about the financial disempowerment of single mums, it has come from mm. him saying those kind of things, other people picking up on it. There was a documentary released, I think it was 93, by Panorama called Babies on Benefits. And that was the first time that it went into sort of mainstream consciousness, this idea that girls might be getting pregnant to get council flats. And because it was, you know, Panorama at the time was the word of God. And because it had been put out there at a time straight after what Charles Murray had said and everyone was in a panic about these terrible single mums running around destroying society, it just went into public consciousness and slipped in really easily and has been maintained ever since and is continually maintained. And you've probably heard the quote, Margaret Thatcher said that um, the children of single mums should be put in the hands of a religious organisation. You know, those kind of things. So... When it comes from the top down, then it makes it all right for the media to say those things. And then it makes it all right for other people, just, you know, Joe Public on the street, to say those things and to perpetuate that nonsense. Because if people at the top are saying that nonsense... When it's like yeah. chat now about immigrants, for example, it's, yeah. it's in, it is effectively just inciting hate, isn't it? Yeah, like it's, it's also demonstrably yeah. not, not true. Now, no. I, there are plenty of people who go on to live incredibly rewarding lives. Mickey... Who were raised by our parents. <laughs> I love and that really yeah. Hi yeah. guys, hi guys. The majority of single parents don't get maintenance payments. Oh, maybe it's say, that. Maybe this it's is, come this off is of amazing. That. My mum, uh, when my mum and dad divorced, my mum was awarded by a judge maintenance from my dad, mm. like yearly maintenance. Yeah. And that judge awarded five pence a year maintenance. Oh my god! Balling. Living the mom, dream. My mum mm. had pence a year. My mum had to, to pay for the that. court costs. Yeah, because she wanted me, and because my dad didn't. And this isn't a boo-hoo thing, but I'm no, like, I'm pretty just, sure he ridiculous. owes me fifty p, yeah. um, or my mum fifty p. But yeah. it's just like that was that that yeah. was seen as okay. And it's, it's just like you're all going seen as what? okay now. The flat rate of child maintenance now is seven pound a week. Oh what are you God. supposed yeah. to do with that? That's the standard flat rate, seven pound a week. It's not so they've even got different to get the tiers. Bus to school, is no. it? Like... Just allow them on the internet <laughs> to see what they could have if they had more money. I know. Got... They have different tiers, so you could potentially get more. But that's the flat rate. That's the starting that's amount, ridiculous. seven pound a week. And then if you get, if like, if you as a single parent want to get child maintenance off the, they call it the non-resident parent. If you want to get maintenance off them, and and they won't pay up or whatever reason. 
you can go through the child maintenance service but the child maintenance service takes commissions so they will take commission directly out of that seven pound you shitting me like a no claim no claim no win no fee lawyer yeah if i get you your ppi so you pay 20 quid up front to access their collect and pay service so this is if you can't get maintenance off your ex so if you can't get maintenance off the non-resident parent already if you know they're like dodging the payments or you're finding it hard to get money off them already then surely you should be supported to reclaim that not financially penalized they take four percent directly out of the kids maintenance but also the way modern relationships work and the fact that when modern relationships break down the majority is and it is absolutely this is a generalization Mm. but it's true the majority means that the children end up with the mother yeah but if you've got like a modern relationship there might be two different dads maybe more that yeah. you're trying to ch- yeah. and like you're trying to bring yeah. your kids up yeah it's it's ridiculous like the vast majority of single parents and mums it's it's sat about 90 percent single mums as opposed to 10 percent single dads that's sat at that rate for for years it hasn't really changed despite lots and lots of changes in society in general it just tends to sit and of course 90%. they're out there so we're, we're not yeah. like ignoring yeah. that and it's as difficult that way around yeah. totally but, the fact is, it still, as with all care, mostly lands with on the women. The well, actually, mostly I have some experience women. of this. Yeah, I can say I don't think it's the same mm. because my brother is a single dad. He has mm. been a single dad for a year, though he faces a lot of the difficulties, mm. exa- a lot of exactly the same difficulties that a single mother would face, as in he's exhausted, yeah. as in he's got <laughs> oh, he's yeah. got a fit work in, as in yeah. it's a massive financial strain on him and. You know, you, you quite often get bogged down in the joyless tasks of you've got to do your homework and yeah. you get very little time for the joyful tasks like, hey, let's go to the cinema. All of that said, there is a way that he is perceived amongst other people mm. that I think is, I would say, to some degree between yeah, he's a good bloke to he's a full-on hero yeah, that yeah, I yeah. don't think happens when yeah. you look at single mothers. Yeah. But he gets a lot of help, and that's either time help mm. or it's emotional support help. Yeah, that I don't think any of the single mothers that I know, yeah, get. Yeah, because it's just expected of them There's that just they will a be able to carry on. Very different perception, isn't there? And I've spoken to single dads, and they say, "Oh, everyone always says we're brave," and they find that insulting mm. too, being called yeah. brave for bringing up their kids. Or sexy, you know, which is weird, Can right? Imagine? Can you imagine? But they don't like single dads. Do not have to put up with opening the paper and there's a headline yeah. saying single mum on benefit or real life Vicky Pollard did this or what you know nobody I'm sure well I don't know I'm not a, a, a single dad but I'm pretty sure no single dad has been asked if they wear a tracksuit and shop at Lidl you know or if they're just 24-7 on benefits or this kind of thing so How can people come and see your show? So the best way to contact me is to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Libby Liebird. So I'll spell that. um, L-I-B-B-Y, L-I-B-U-R-D. Hashtag motherhood, which is M-U-V-V-A-H. Oh, oh, I've got to think about that. H O M U V. 
Jesus, you've put me off now. <laughs> M-U-V-V-A-H-O-D. Thank you. Right. I've got there in the end. And um, if you Twitter me, all the dates are on there. But I have a show coming up in Walthamstow, E17 Massive, on the tw- – and it will be an E17 party. So get yourself down there. That's 23rd of November, 8pm. And then we've got the Pleasance, 30th of November and the 1st of December. And then that's it for this year, and it'll be back again next year. Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Yay. I mean, like, massive topics close to my own heart, but just really interesting and eye-opening. Thank so, you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming in. Thank Bye. you so much thank for having me. Thank you. Anytime. I sort of want you to adopt me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, I am joined by our musical guru, Liz Buckley. Hey Liz. Hello there. And we are going to talk Bjork. 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 (laughs) Yes. How do you know how to say it? Because that's how she says it. I I copy her. Well done. I I figure she knows. I reckon if you're going to copy anyone in life, maybe (laughs) Bjork's a, a, a good one to go. So, I don't know, if you've been living under a rock... Bjork is, still can't say it, Bjork is the Icelandic crackerjack and the pin-up for those who like it avant-garde. I was trying to work out who Liz and I could have a little chat about musically, which brilliant women would be good to talk about. And I thought of Bjork and then I just tried to find things that I could hook it on. And it's going to be her birthday on November the 21st. And also, she has a new album, Utopia, which looks set for release on November the 24th, although that is not set in stone because, you know, Bjork... <laughs> Actually, she did bring one of her albums forward because it got unleashed online. So you're right, it might get brought forward. But she does have a tradition of releasing her albums on her birthday, which is rather cute. That is adorable. <laughs> yeah. The first Sugar Cube single was released on her 21st birthday, I think. Birthday. <laughs> oh, Neat. OK. She's, yeah. she's good. She's good. <laughs> yeah. It might not have been the first, the first hit. That was 30 years ago because she's going to be 51 this month. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. So she's been around for ages. <laughs> Haven't we all? Haven't we all? Yeah. <laughs> but in case those people who were living under the rock don't know about Bjork. Oh, seriously. Come on now. <laughs> Ongoing not being able to say Bjorkness. Can you describe her to us, please, Liz? Well, see, this is this is my fear. When I was sort of thinking about what I was going to say to you is just how do you describe her and do her justice? Uh, she describes herself as a pop artist, but you'll find that a lot of slightly more left-field magazines like The Wire or whatever will, will say she's non-pop and they'll be very keen on stressing that she is, you know, slightly avant-garde and different and she's not a normal sort of mainstream artist. But actually the beautiful thing about her is she's claimed by the underground and she's claimed by the mainstream. The other day I saw her described and it was the first time I thought, yes, because you you just cannot say one word that is her. And someone said, superstar. And I was like, yes, she's a superstar. She's a titan. And I get fed up with all the elf stuff. You know, it's like she's she's, <laughs> she's so much bigger than that. She's big enough to have Beck support her. You know, she's big enough to have Bowie at one of her first gigs in New York. She's never been a niche, tiny artist. She's huge in fashion. She's huge in photography. She's huge in all types of media, uh, video. You know, she's one of the most famous women in the world she's in the time top 100 most influential people of all time list you know she's 40 million albums sold well she's not particularly left field (laughs) and so that's I think what makes her so hard to describe because she's actually claimed by everybody do you think the left field tag comes from the fact that she's never stayed still she's incredibly innovative and ambitious and inventive and 
just deliciously odd. She yes. seems to revel in being <laughs> yeah, the weirdo, the freak. She doesn't make it easy for herself, but that is what's so beautiful about it. And, but I love the fact that that doesn't alienate anybody. Everybody still feels that she's theirs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as she moves along, people don't think, oh, that phase was a bit strange. It's, the stranger she gets, the more endearing it is. She's so well known, even, you know, 20 odd years ago, that French and Saunders can do a skit about her. <laughs> That's not particularly left field. <laughs> so. Yeah, and also, you know, the, the sort of elfin, childlike thing that people always say. She's vulnerable, but she's also a warrior. She's vicious and she's friendly. She's sexual and she's childlike. She'll skip barefoot, but she'll still have antennae coming out of her tits, you know? So yeah, she's, yeah uh, that's when I know that I'm really up for it, if there's some antennae coming <laughs> out of my tits. That is such a cool word for Björk that you just used, warrior. I feel like that's exactly what she is. It's like she's fighting against people thinking different is wrong. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it, I think. And she always reacts against her last album, so she'll call her first solo album debut, even though she's had records out since she was 11. (laughs) She'll make an album about love, and then the next one will be about divorce, and then she'll make one about utopia, because the last one was hell and she was miserable, and she'll make a huge Big Beats album, and the next one will be about micro beats. She was talking about how when you download albums, it kind of squashes everything, and all music sounds very vacuum-packed when you're streaming it. So she deliberately wrote an album that catered for that, so it was going to sound good squashed, and she wanted is something that was written with the minutiae in mind, not with big sounds that were going to get ruined. The next one's Utopia, so this is uh, her post-divorce album. She actually called it her Tinder album. Oh, <laughs> Yes. No fun to be had on Tinder. Well, talking about her being a warrior, maybe we should talk about this most recent bit of news. Yeah, you're right. Let's talk about that. Björk has joined the list of high-profile women who have called out someone who allegedly sexually harassed her. And this particular thing is kind of making me very Uma Thurman. (laughs) This is literally vibrating with rage, as (laughs) we all are at the moment. Just absolute fury about this particular one. I mean, obviously, they're all dreadful, dreadful situations, and on mass, you feel furious. Okay, the way that I feel about this is they're using her feistiness against her. The experience for Björk, at the time, I remember her saying this when she made the film, that the experience of making Dance in the Dark was so physically and emotionally draining that she never wanted to make another film again. Wow. So considering that, you know, she's a very innovative, strong visual artist, for somebody to say, that's the only time I'm ever going to act because that was such a miserable experience. Mm-hmm. Michelle Gondry, who she's worked with time and time again on like, some amazing videos, he asked her to be in his film, The Science of Sleep, and she said no, and that's somebody she completely trusts, but he, yeah, he completely ruined the, the experience for her. She described it as being punished for not getting his way, but he basically came back and said, we are victims, actually, me and the producer, this woman is stronger than the whole crew put together. She victimised us. She nearly shut this multi-million pound film down. And that was his response. And after he did that, pretty much everyone stopped talking about what Björk had said. And it was this sort of bullying that has made me doubly furious. I mean, when she described being on set, he he kept trying to fondle her after every take, like holding on to her for minutes at a time in front of the entire cast. When she told him not to touch her, he smashed a chair 
when when she was doing takes and he would she didn't want him to come over and fondle her basically he smashed a monitor next to her head I mean you know this is horrible stuff he he used to say very sexually explicit stuff to her while he was hanging on to her with his wife stood there he used to threaten to climb over the balcony into her room in the middle of the night so she had to go and stay with her friend so it's quite full on stuff if there's ever a definition of entitlement Absolutely. And this is this was her point that she felt she was being punished for not letting him get his way. And he tried to use her strength against her. So he's preying on that thing of like, well, she seems like a difficult woman, doesn't she? And everyone's kind of going, well, she probably is a bit difficult to work with, isn't she? That's what they see because, you know, it's like the warrior elf. So they've used that against her. Like she was a wild horse to be broken. <laughs> when actually all she's done is say, no, I don't want this to happen. And that's seen as some terrible thing. I mean, her manager even got involved. I mean, he's uh, been with her for 30 years she's been with the same record company since she began like I say she's worked with Michelle Gondry she's worked with Chris Cunningham she's worked with Arca, with Timberland over and over and over again and the manager makes the point that there isn't a single other collaborator that she's ever fallen out with if she's such a difficult woman <laughs> would there not just be untold feuds all over the place but the very fact the manager had to get involved made me furious because you need a male voice going she's right actually Björk said in a very dignified follow-up statement that if being difficult is standing up to people like that, then she'll own it. That's kind of true. I mean, she, she makes a joke where she said, he, you know, he was playing on the sort of, what is she? Is she an alien thing? And she said, I've never eaten, eaten a shirt. I'm not sure that's possible. Because <laughs> he, he was making out she was some kind of strange little mythological beast. But, you know, the poor woman, has literally all she's done is she's played a brilliant part. You know, she was up for an Oscar for the music. She won a Best Actress at Cannes, I think. Yeah. And his excuse is it was the best performance in one of my films. So he felt that it was a means to an end. Yeah, I feel incredibly furious about the way she's been treated about that. Difficult women. Well, good for her. I'm delighted she was difficult. Yeah, let's all get more difficult. Let's yes. all be Björk. Yes. Let's follow her. Well, if she's playing the recorder, I think we'll all skip behind. <laughs> yeah, she's our Pied Piper. She's said sort of similar things along this line before where um, she's talking about not getting full credit. So, you know, not a lot of people seem to realise that Björk does a lot of production on her stuff and mixing. And, you know, a lot of her albums will be referred to like, oh, Volta, that's the Timberland album, or Matmus album, that's the Nelly Hooper collaboration. You know, those are the videos that she made with Michelle Gondry. But that's to do down the fact that, you know, 80% of this is her idea and someone else is helping her realise that. You know, she's written all the beats, she's done all the production, and she's got someone in to help her because collaborating helps you learn. But actually, you know, to kind of go, well, that's when you work with that man or that's when you work with that man is to do her down because every single thing that she does is her vision. You're not telling me you make videos that strange that you haven't discussed with anybody. <laughs> Just a little talk about the videos, right? So when I was a teenager and I'd gone home and I had MTV on and I'd been in the front room with my mum and MTV had been on and I trotted off to make a brew or raid the fridge or whatever I was doing and I just heard my mum shouting at me Mick, Mick, what's this? I went, what? And she just went, come here and I walked back into the room and she went, who's this granny running up and down a truck? <laughs> and it was of course <laughs> Big Time Sensuality <laughs> oh. like, It's weird <laughs> It's a good way more normal I know, right? <laughs> but that's it, I think she defies expectation 
with your, you never know what you're going to get next. And I guess that must be intimidating for someone like Lars von Trier, who's supposed to be the innovator, mm-hmm. to have someone who's actually got just as good ideas and to have that someone be a woman and to decide that they're going to break them. She said that Lars von Trier's films, the soul of those films, are the female centres. I mean... Is it Emily Watson in Breaking the Waves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, another incredibly brutal watch. But she's like, she he needs those women in order to be strong and to give soul to the movie. And then he resents the talent is coming from the female lead and just sets out to destroy you. She's sort of just pure hate from start to finish making that film. She only finished it out of respect for the crew. Because, and because she's such a difficult woman. Yes. She stayed and <laughs> saw it through to the end so yes. that no one else so got fucked over. <laughs> what a What a bitch. <laughs> I can't think of any other artists that are like Björk. No, no, well, no, certainly not. On the one hand, you've got her being very shy on the cover of Debut. In the videos and stuff, she's got her hand over her mouth and she look, she's she got the little teardrops yeah, <laughs> on her face. And, you know, then on the other hand, she's just come out of a punk band called Spit and Snot. <laughs> and there's an Icelandic band she was in called Cork the Bitch's Ass. <laughs> nice. She's also in a jazz band called Exodus. I mean, she's all over the place. But, you know, this is obviously all to the good. This is not a difficult woman. She, I mean, she has done a few other film projects since she was, when she was with uh, Matthew Barney, who's a sort of avant-garde New York filmmaker, uh, sculptor, uh, video maker, all sorts of things. She did Drawing Restraint 9, and in that there's no dialogue, and they turn into whales. <laughs> I mean, that sounds perfectly Bjork to me. Perfectly Bjork. <laughs> well, she married him. So. <laughs> Reader, I married him. <laughs> But, you know, on the one hand, she's the sort of person that waves at trains. And on the other hand, you know, <laughs> she's got robots having sex. She's, uh, yeah, very, very hard to describe. <laughs> it's like if anyone was beginning, I'd insist they start at the beginning. You can't just delve in because everything is a reaction to the last one. And she grows up and she learns things and she changes things and she refers to things. And, yeah, you've, it's a, there is a linear linear line there. So, so she bravely takes listeners on the journey of her life with her really yeah and includes them actually i mean there was a whole project she did for army of me where she she invited her fans to make remixes and then release an album of the i think it was the best 20 but you know she involves her fans she's not in any way egotistical or well you can see that time and again i mean there's just no vanity you know she'll be on the in time magazine with a beard and <laughs> You know, blue circles around her face and hairy armpits. And, you know, she's done the work. It's like piercings on her back during videos. And... <laughs> Sorry, it's freaks there's, there's me out a bit. zero vanity. So for a pin-up, which is what she has become, whether she likes that or not, she's sort of, on the one hand, you know, she embraces that because her sexuality is very important. But on the other hand, you know, she, she could very much repulse people, but she doesn't. She's just so intriguing and interesting and innovative. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago, there was an exhibition of her career at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. It's just not many pop artists get things like no, that. No, not at all. All is Full of Love is the first ever DVD single. So there's a 360-degree videos that she's made that you have to go to a cinema to see. She did the first live virtual reality stream. You know, she's always kind of involved with technology. And, I mean, biophilia... Her album a couple of years ago, there's multimedia apps that go with every single song on that album, and uh, it's actually now taught in Reykjavik schools. So there's all the apps that sort of to do with technology and biology that mix together. The live show for that was phenomenal. You literally got like 
frog spawn covering the ceiling and starfish crawling over amps and you've got a guy playing lightning <laughs> it was uh yeah nature in music it was quite something but as a visual artist you know she's unparalleled really liz she's amazing and fascinating and that was really interesting thanks so much for coming in oh thanks for asking me back Anytime. <laughs> Question. I'm not answering that. Hello, this is Sarah Millican, and you are listening to Sarah Millican's Question Time. Uh, the question this week comes from somebody called Streetwise Herc, which I'm assuming is short for Hercules. And I love that there's somebody called Hercules in the world. Excellent work. Uh, and this is off Twitter. And the question is, how can I overcome my ice cream addiction? Now, I think the problem there, Herc, is that you're using the word addiction rather than hobby. If you said, like, I never say that I'm addicted to choco- chocolate, I'm a chocoholic. I just say, oh, it's one of my hobbies is shoveling chocolate in my mouth as much as I possibly can in between, you know, eating biscuits. So I think if you start calling it a hobby, you might be better off. And not actually a really good way of, of easing off on an ice cream addiction, if that's what you're asking, is to develop IBS. Because I am, I don't know if I'm lactose intolerant so much as my arse cries when I have lactose. <laughs> uh I'm lactose sad. Let's call it that. (laughs) So when I go to the cinema with my husband, he'll have like a mountain of ice cream, some kind of giant sundae with sauce and bits and stuff and sprinkles and everything else on. And I will have like one scoop in a tub. You have to be very decisive because sometimes there's three flavours I fancy and I have to pick the one I'm going to go for. Usually minty chocolate chip or strawberry cheesecake for flavour fans out there. Unless I'm not bothered about the rest of the film. If if it's a film that I think might be shit, then I'll have more scoops because then I'll just spend most of it on the lav. So maybe develop some IBS or call it a hobby instead. I hope that helps. Thanks very much for your question. Have a great week, guys. If you'd like me to answer one of your questions, then tweet us at Standard Issue UK using the hashtag SMQT. Thank you. Standard Issue for all women. Hello. I've managed to get Amanda Palmer, that's right, Amanda fucking Palmer on the phone to have a little chat, so I'm feeling very lucky. Hello there. <laughs> Hello. What are you up to? I am, uh, I'm in a recording studio in London, so I've been doing these sort of flash ninja recordings every month, and I've just been writing songs really quickly, going into the studio with a bunch of friends, wherever I am, banging the songs out. And then putting them out on my Patreon, which is basically like Kickstarter 2.0 for me. I've got 11,000 people just funding me to work and make art, and it's been awesome. I'm in heaven. You've been doing Patreon for quite a while, haven't you? It's how you've been funding things for the past couple of years. Yeah, I started my Patreon about two years ago. I love Kickstarter, and I, you know, I put out a huge album in 2012, but... I didn't want to have to do a Kickstarter every year or two because it's just so much work. And instead, with Patreon, basically people agree to give me a dollar or five dollars every time I put out a video or a song or whatever, and I just work. And there's no extra headache or bullshit of like, I'm going to send you a t-shirt, I'm going to send you a mug, I'm going to send you some bullshit in the mail. It's just like, no, I'm going to make art and you're going to pay for it. (laughs) And it's it's working out great. That's the way it should be though, right? I mean, I'm I'm me and I'm weird, so I, you know, I love communicating with my audience all the time and I love, I'm a workaholic and I love working all the time. So this system works for me. You know, I still have nothing but respect for artists who 
can't stand crowdfunding and want to just hole up in a studio and deliver it under the door every couple of years and not have to talk to anyone. But I just don't want to be one of those anymore. (laughs) Yeah, you're very chatty on Twitter. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's a good thing. It's definitely a good thing. Yeah, I am chatty. I'm chatty. That's what that's that's my blessing and my curse, I guess. We're definitely going to go with blessing. So we're trying today, and it's actually Tuesday, because tomorrow, which is Wednesday, when our podzine is released, you're releasing a brand new video to the song Mother. And the song's great and beautiful. The video is really arresting. It's a really fascinating take on something that is really important right now. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how it came about? Oh, thank you. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of a long story. Um, it started last... January, I was in Australia touring and working. My kid was about a year old. He had just had his first birthday. And, you know, if you can, like, rewind the clock and remember what was happening last fall, like, my baby turned one when the election happened. Everything went very dark. And then I went over to Australia and I just, I felt really detached from everything that was happening because there I I was in Australia for like, I don't know, three months. And I was over there when the inauguration happened and I went to the women's march in Sydney and I was just like, fuck, what am I doing? I'm like, I just felt really irrelevant and really powerless watching from so far away while it just felt like the world was crumbling. And, you know, I was reading the news and I was seeing all of this the creepy, shitty signs of the impending fascist administration and listening to Trump talking about his big, beautiful wall that he wanted to build. With his big, beautiful hands. Oh, with his big, beautiful cock that he's just so in love with. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was literally walking down the street, and I don't know why it came into my head, but I started thinking about the lyrics to, to Mother, and I was like, oh my God, how much more apt could this song be right now with all of the lyrics about the wall and this, you know, the, the, the thing about me is like, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a super active feminist, but I'm also a real humanist. And I always try to look four levels deeper. And I look at people like Donald Trump and all of these chest beating men with the with a kind of sympathy that a lot of people don't even forgive me for. Because I look at these guys and I'm like, you just didn't get enough love. You really didn't. You you wouldn't be like this. You wouldn't be living in a world of such extreme scarcity and fear if this culture had actually taken care of you in the first place. Which is not to excuse your completely egregious and fucked up behavior, but still... It's not, the problem is a systemic problem. The problem isn't Donald Trump. He's symbolic of everything that's wrong with American culture and every, the whole cultural diet that we've been fed. And I started thinking about the song and thinking about Donald Trump and just piecing it together in my head. And I do, and I did sort of what I do is I just sort of started fantasizing a video and I was like, oh God, how good would it be? (laughs) How good would it be if you just literally pitted, did this sort of like battle scene of the of the the forces of mother and nurturing and connection and peace actually just winning against these guys and i 
you know, I write stories and videos and plays in my head all the time, and I rarely actually manifest them because I'm so busy and stuff. But this one, I was like, oh, I really want to do this. So I called up Jarek Bischoff. He arranged the song, um, which I, I don't even know if we've mentioned is by Pink Floyd, is from The Wall, and which is one of my favorite films of all time. It's, talking about like a really powerful anti-war statement that film is one of the most beautiful anti-war films ever made uh, i recorded it over in australia and then i just started to look for a filmmaker and i really wanted a woman i didn't want to be sexist but i was like i need someone i need a, a female powerhouse team around me if this is really going to be the thing that i want it to be so I got an amazing female director, an amazing female choreographer, all of the actors and the kids in it and the, the dancers, they were just all on board with the idea. And so I've, I've never been on a film set like that. It really, it felt like a, it, it felt like a resistance march the entire shoot day. I mean, unsurprisingly, given that it's your baby, resistance march is such an accurate description of what's going on in that video and the fight for equality and recognizing that you know inequality isn't just shit for women it really affects men too that toxic masculinity yeah exactly and my you know my beef with a lot of feminists and you know where i find myself getting into trouble a lot but i won't back down and it, it it's is is when feminists or you know women who are coming into their empowerment wind up vilifying and and being just as bullying and just as nasty and just as mean as men have always been to us you know so anytime i see a feminist yelling like you you know we're just going to chop your dicks off and send you to the moon it's like we're not going to make any progress the whole point is we have to unify we're so separated and and i know it's painful and i know it's difficult and i know it's hard to empathize with a bastard like Donald Trump. But if we're ever going to succeed, if we're ever going to give, you know, our children a shot at actual equality, you have to do that. It's the only door out of here. The, the other thing that was so powerful about doing this, uh, this clip, and I didn't even really realize it until I got to the end of the day, is, um, you know, I have a baby now. And I've continued to work. Like I said, I'm a real workaholic. I've been going to recording studios, shooting videos, doing shows, you know, doing my job as a touring, performing, entertaining rock star lady. And every time I bring my kid somewhere, you know, it, it kind of works. It's sort of cute. It's really tolerated by everybody. And on this shoot, you know, the director was a female who had a two-year-old. All of my lead actresses were mothers of kids under, you know, 10 years old. There, I looked around and I was like, holy fuck, this is the first time I'm at work. And instead of my kid being tolerated, everyone's kids are here. We're just doing this. We have all the power right now. There's no one in charge but us. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a complete metaphor for what the world needs to be, which is that, which is when you're a working mother, it, you're not just some exception that people are patting on the head and tolerating. You're, you're this fucking force who has this powerful 
thing that you have to say and that you have to do and you happen to be doing it with a baby on your hip but no one should be giving any shits and it was so it was so empowering and I can't tell you how many people on the set watching you know with the music blaring through the speakers and you know the monitors up and everyone peering at what was going on I saw like I saw a dozen people weeping and there were all these parents on the set because there were all these kids and all the parents were like crying all day because we all knew what was going on we didn't need to say very much it was like we're we're creating this little microcosm world you know that no one's really going to understand they're going to see this video and they're probably going to think it's great and hoo-ha but but this thing this work environment that we've just created with all of these powerful mothers with their kids on their hips at the helm shooting videos and you know, gaffing videos and the cinematographer being a woman and me and everything. It was just like, oh, right. Like this actually is a world we could just make. We could just do this. You know, we would just have to get a lot of people out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's get them out of the way. I reckon we can do this. So I think we're up for it. So when we were chatting before today, when we were organizing, having a chat, you were saying to me that you were excited about putting Mother and the video out there, but you were also a little bit apprehensive because you've kind of been... I mean, you're, you're no stranger to making your voice heard and saying what you feel, but it's been a little while since you've put yourself in sort of the firing line. Yeah, I... You know, it's it's hard because I um, I always misjudge when people are going to yell at me. It's like I'm terrible at it. Every time I think people are going to yell at me, uh, it hasn't happened. And every time I do something innocuous, that's usually like when the shitstorm <laughs> comes at me when I'm least expecting it. So I don't, I don't know. I think, you know, I, I, it is a provocative video, and it's got some provocative and, you know, I don't know if graphic is the right word for it because it doesn't feel graphic to me. Uh, but it has some, you know. It has some provocative inner imagery, put it that way. And and I just never know with people. I you know, I remember being on the set when we shot that finale scene, and I'm not gonna spoil it for anyone listening because you just need to go see it. But when we sh- when we shot that final scene, I I was so proud of us, and then I found myself standing there, you know, looking at Chris Wells, the the gay actor who plays the president, and I said, Fuck, we we might have to edit that part out. <laughs> because I I have a child, I have a family, I don't want to get doxxed. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the target that 4chan and all of the crazy right-wing people decide would be a tasty, you know, like a tasty tidbit because everyone needs someone to yell at. I have gone through my career of being yelled at. It is no fucking fun. And... You know, and mean people can be relentlessly sneaky and cruel. And I spent 2012, you know, pretty much being bullied and yelled at on the internet, and it was so exhausting. And I didn't have a kid back then. I could roll up my sleeves anytime I wanted and, you know, try and explain myself and write a blog and do a think piece and da 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 and write a book and do a TED talk defending my position. And right now I kind of look at that and I'm like, oh man, I, uh, I don't have the. I don't have the wherewithal to spend the next month defending myself. Although I've got to say, coming full circle, the I've sent this video clip right now to, I don't know, maybe 10 or 20 women, feminist allies of mine, you know, female friends of mine, and everyone is 
deeply in my corner. And so I've got to see there's also something beautiful about putting this out now and going, I think the world, the, the, the good part of the world and the intelligent, compassionate part of the world is going to have my back on this one. Absolutely. And there must be that thing of weighing up the fact that it is a really important message, so important to you and so vital to you that you've made this incredibly arresting, powerful video and you need to get it out there and we need to talk about these things. But but weighing that up with the fact that some people on the internet and indeed in real life are just dicks. Yeah, and also, but, you know, looking at looking at the way the internet has changed and the way dialogue has changed. You know, back in 2012, the internet was a, you know, it was a lonelier place and women didn't defend each other as much. Women didn't stand up for each other as much. And you see what's going on like literally right now, this week, this month, all of the all of the news, all of the women who are coming out in support of one another. It's this is like this feels like this cataclysmic world changing moment of solidarity that might actually be the fire that lights a massive change. Because I, I will never forget, like whatever it was, maybe three or four years ago, I will never forget for the first time in my life making the connection in my head between feminism actually succeeding and gender equality succeeding and things like climate change being fixed. <laughs> and I was like, actually, it's not, a, it's not a huge leap. You've got so many disempowered women in the world that if all of them stood up and said, we're just not going to take this anymore, we need to fix this, so many other things would fall into place. That's just basic maths. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's not going to happen all at once, but you really are seeing, you know... If I'm grateful to Donald Trump for anything, we might... Hang on, easy there. We might be able to look back and say, that's what pushed us over the edge. <laughs> Can we just push him over the edge? That would be pretty awesome, right? So, your video, Mother, where can people access it and find it? We're recording this in the past, but as of, you know, as of about 1.30 Wednesday GMT, it should be up on YouTube. Vimeo, you can go to my Twitter feed, you can go to Facebook, you can probably Google Amanda Palmer, mother, and the news will tell you. So it shouldn't be too hard to find. Amanda, thank you so much for taking some time out of the studio to chat to us about this. And everyone who's listening, please make sure you check it out. We'll put a link in our descriptions and tweet about it as well. But Mother is an absolutely beautiful song and excellent video. Thanks again, Amanda. Oh, it was my pleasure, absolutely, and I'm so glad you wanted to talk. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny Off The Blocks. Welcome to Jenny Off The Blocks, our weekly... Do you know what? I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't thought of one this week. Quick, think of one. Think of one. Our weekly ribbon twirl of all of the good things in women's sport. That's really rubbish, isn't it? Sorry. Must try harder, offered. Must try harder. Anyway, we open this week's little foray into that world with some horrible news, actually. Revelations that were made in the new book Unbreakable by former tennis player Yelena Dokic. 
made the headlines as she revealed she nearly killed herself over physical abuse suffered at the hands of her coach and indeed her father, Damir Dokic. The Croatian-born tennis player revealed that she had endured beatings over the course of her career that were so severe they had left her bloodied and bruised and on one occasion so bad that she said she passed out. The book has shone a light on Tennis Australia as Dokic's fellow athletes said they believed the abuse must have been known about by the governing body because it had happened so publicly. In fact, Tennis Australia released a statement in response to the claims that concerns about her welfare had been raised but they couldn't be acted upon because of a lack of cooperation. The statement read... Some officials even went as far as lodging police complaints, which without cooperation from those directly involved, unfortunately, could not be fully investigated. And it added that much had been done in the last 10 years to improve protection for children. Unfortunately, this is not a singular story. It's not a one-off. There's quite a lot out there, if you care to look it up, about other female tennis players who have suffered at the hands of their fathers. Jim Pearce, the father of Mary, was accused by his daughter of slapping her if she'd had a bad practice or a bad match, for example. Mirjana Lucic-Baroni, whose career was almost finished by dealing with the aftermath of her abusive father as well. There have been a lot of accusations about abuse across any number of sports in the last few years. Gymnastics, for example, has been a, a big one. Football here in the UK has been a massive one over the last year. When you think about it, it's quite an easy setup for abusers, actually, if they're not being watched properly and the right governance procedures aren't in place. You think about the age that young people enter into sport if they're you know, going to become elite, the control that a coach has over them, and not least if that coach also happens to be you know, a, a relative. But these are all things that make them really, really vulnerable. And it's really quite worrying when you think about the recent issues in women's football, for example, or institutional issues that have been raised about British cycling and what has appeared to be attempts to keep those quiet. So, again, I think this is probably something that we're going to hear more and more about and hopefully it's something that will be taken seriously and and better procedures are going to be put in place to deal with these things. While we're on the subject of British cycling, there was actually some good news for them uh, in the last week and in particular... The women's team, as they picked up three gold medals at the Track Cycling World Cup as of Sunday, Eleanor Barker and Katie Archibald, who both already had a gold medal to their name, respectively, that is not just their one collective name. That would be weird, they don't have one collective name. Anyway, uh, along with Emily Nelson and Nia Evans, actually bettered Team GB's world record team pursuit victory in Rio last year, and they beat finalists Italy by five seconds, which is Quite a lot, actually. England's Ashes Dream was still alive at the time of recording, though Australia had taken a series lead of 6-4. They play again today, if you're listening on Wednesday, so all that could yet change imminently, or indeed have already changed if you're listening to this late in the day. But another small step for womankind and a victory to report here briefly... BT Sport had been showing the women's test match for free on their app and via their YouTube channels. They were instead on their main TV channel, hilariously showing a documentary posing the question, could women's sports ever gain equal footing with their male counterparts? Yeah, no, the irony wasn't um, 
lost on us. Or indeed on Five Live presenter and all-round superstar Ellie Oldvoid, who took them to task on this via Twitter, and she was told some sort of waffle about poor quality digital feed. However, on reflection, they decided it was good enough to use on the telly box after all, and they therefore decided, in fact, to show the remainder of the test on BT Sport 3, consequently. So this is it, lads. This is how we affect change, because we're the consumers here. We are the people that have the power, really. And so we can challenge this shit. Make a fuss, be heard, call it out on any number of levels and on any number of issues. Moving on, and uh, this is the place where Dude Sport takes second place on the old podium. A quick word about the Football World Cup qualifier playoffs and international friendlies that happened last week and are still happening now. They may have been happened. They may have been happened. They may have happened by the time you listen to this. International friendlies, if you happen to have inexplicably qualified already for the World Cup, despite a run of dismal performances against minuscule Eastern European countries. I'm talking about England, just as an FYI. Unfortunately, we already knew Wales hadn't qualified going into the international break, and neither Northern Ireland managed to qualify in their playoffs, unfortunately. England played Germany on Friday night, having already qualified, and I'll be honest, I didn't even bother watching it. I thought... I thought it was something of an oversight scheduling a match between the two at Wembley on November the 10th. And this is not going to be everyone's view. I thought it was preposterous that the German players were expected to wear poppies. I was expecting a thrashing and a generous side of racism. And I couldn't be asked to shoulder the national embarrassment, to be honest, because Brexit is really, it's bad enough, guys. It's, it's bad enough before you bring more twats into the equation. But England manager Gareth Southgate fielded some young'uns, including Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Remember his name because the tabloids are bound to start fucking him up in a matter of minutes, and you'll want to know what they're talking about when they do. Apparently, we were all right. We managed a very respectable nil-nil draw. Sounds interesting, right? But yeah, we we drew against the current world champions, and we didn't even have Harry Kane, Deli Alley, or anyone else who Mauricio Pochettino wanted to keep safe for Spurs' bid for world domination. It is, as they say, the hope that kills you. And just to add to that, Charlton Athletic are also doing all right at the minute, but literally no one cares about that. So that's all from me, as ever. Tell me what you think. I'm on at Inspirogen on the old Twitter, and I would love to hear from you, unless you're a knob, in which case, don't bother. More sports next week. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you did this week? This week I done seen something racist. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, were you just looking at America? Yeah, I watched 1941's Dumbo, which is 64 minutes of my life. I will never get back. Oh my God, I feel like you've already answered a question that I'm going to be asking <laughs> you later. <laughs> We've been deliberately putting off doing Dumbo because I failed to see how it could be made funny. So I apologise in advance for making one, if not both of you. Watch it. I watched it. I've seen it before, like when I was little. I've got actually went in my cellar, not a euphemism, the other day, and I have a toy Dumbo, and I nearly brought him to the recording, and then I remembered probably wouldn't be popular here. <laughs> uh, I've seen it when I was a kid, but not not since I was about five. Okay. Did you like it, Hannah? Of course not. <laughs> it was actually worse than I thought it would be, which is saying something. So to give it a bit of context, 
Dumbo followed Fantasia, which was a box office flop. And also racist. And shit, if well, you that's don't mind why me I, saying. That's so why you, I'm also putting it off. You can all look forward to that, Dunley, yeah, if he does Disney. I think we might leave that right till the end, and then I'll just, like, smoke some crack and start talking <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> I mean, you will literally have to, yeah. to make it in any way enjoyable. <laughs> and then we'll all just but, start yeah. singing Pink Elephants on yeah. Parade, which we'll get to in a bit. <laughs> So obviously Disney didn't want to spend too much money on this film because it lost a load of money on Fantasia. And I think you can tell that in that nothing really grabs you. Not the plot, what little plot there is, not the animation, not really the music, certainly not the humour, which is exactly the same as all the early Disney humour in that it consists of someone not noticing something, which is really obvious which I think is a good analogy, as any, for everyone pretending not to notice what a terrible human being Disney was. Um, <laughs> but that really is the least of Dumbo's problems. So where to start? The racism, the sexism, the cruelty to animals. Take your pick, mate. Well, actually, should, I do, a little, should I do a little plot synopsis? A little synopsis? Just remind me what happens. Tiny plot yeah. synopsis. I've, I've got to say that I have thoughts. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen it, or who hasn't seen it in ages, which I hope, for your sake, listeners, is the case. So one day, the stork visits a travelling circus and everyone gets a baby. Um, I've already got something to say, by okay. the way. Okay, I'm chipping in early, and I'm yeah. sorry, because this sometimes does get annoying. But basically, the, the first bit where the stork is delivering baby animals to the circus yeah. animals... Um, the mum keeps getting a baby animal yeah. and they come out. Because as we little... know, that's how they arrive. Yeah. yeah. But I think it is basically how they still teach sex education in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't um, not... come from your vagina. It comes from this from, yeah. winged I've, I've got creature. to stress that I am not keen to see cartoon elephants banging or anything, but it does just seem like there are no dads involved at <laughs> all. two are. elephants love each other very, very much. much. <laughs> no, there are no, there are no dads. All animals are women. So anyway, the stork visits the travelling circus. Everyone gets a baby, including Mrs. Jumbo, who partakes of the delivery of a son who has well big ears. And she calls him Jumbo Junior. Which is brilliant because it does imply that his dad is called Jumbo Jumbo. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I think he's in elephant porn. (laughs) (laughs) There is no porn, only storks. Yeah. Everybody else calls him Dumbo, though, because they are all nasty bastards, which I will get to later. I've got to say that Mrs. Jumbo strikes me as the kind of woman who would definitely start a sentence with, as a mother. Speaking as a mother. She, she also manages to look really old in the fitting style that all, <laughs> all uh, Disney parents are pensioners. She's Mrs. Potts. She She's is. the Angela Lansbury of elephants. She elephant is. She looks, world. she looks really, really old. And I don't know what it is about her that makes her look old. She's got a fucking frilly bonnet it's on. It's to do with the bonnet. I will say that is largely bonnet action. Maybe she takes the bonnet off and people go, oh what my God, on? Mrs. Jumbo, you, do you think so you much think, younger. Do you think Jumbo Jumbo comes in and he goes... Take off your bonnet. <laughs> it's fun time. Yeah, take off your bonnet. The stork's coming. I'm off the cob. <laughs> Maybe. As everyone picks on, on her big-eared baby, which leads to his mother having a bit of a, a an event, and she gets locked up in a, in a trunk. Truck, sorry. And by truck, I mean, like, railway carriage truck. Like yeah. a trailer, yeah. Yeah. I, I think truck is the correct word for it. I'm just explaining to the people who've never watched anything American. Okay. So, unnecessarily. So it's marked Mad Elephant. Um Fuck, why? Because she's an hysterical woman and she needs to be locked up. Yeah, right. 
Absolutely. So then Dumbo makes friends with a mouse. Oh, the irony. And the mouse sounds like it's in the New York mob for no apparent reason. <laughs> it's ironic because it's very small and he's very big. Yes. No, and also it's ironic because elephants are supposed to be scared of mice. Are they? Yeah. yeah. This is new information. And it, the mouse, uh, Timothy Q. Mouse, as he is actually called, causes chaos amid the, the all-female elephant brigade. Yeah. They go absolutely batshit mental about there being a mouse. But yeah, they make piles. And the thing about him sounding like he's in like The Sopranos, yeah. a New York mob, is the guy who voiced Timothy Q. Mouse does play gangsters in films. He does. There yeah. you go. Um, so he just has the one voice, clearly. So <laughs> Do you think it's his voice? Yeah, maybe. So he gets thrown out of the elephant gang, hangs around with the mouse, gets pissed and wakes up in a tree. We've all done it. <laughs> and then he discovers that his massive ears enable him to fly the end, basically. Uh, uh, after he flies, it does. It does basically just goes. You know, remember the Robin Hood, and then King John turned up, and basically everything worked <laughs> out. Fine. It just goes like that, and it's just like boom, 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 fine. And he fires some peanuts at some clowns, and it's basically na 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 yeah. to the bullies. The end. Yeah. Does his mum come back? Yeah, uh, they yeah, get a special. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry. We can talk about that in a sec. So, so let's start with what Family Guy so aptly titled "Good Old Fashioned Family Racism." <laughs> um, it's not often I will ever quote Family Guy, but I think they're right here. The thing I was dreading with this is those fucking crows, which you know are a bit beyond belief, and like the sort of horrible parody of black people that made oppressing them just so much more acceptable in nineteen fucking forty-one. The leader. Of the crows, the unbelievably named Jim Crow. I don't understand. Why is that bad? Oh, wait a minute. He's played by a white man, but the other crows are voiced by the Hall Johnson Choir, who can certainly hold a tune. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it's a great um, song. Now, it's important to say that not all people of colour consider the crows to be racist. Um, Whoopi Goldberg, for example suggested that the crows should be released on merchandising as merchandising because so, they've got the best song in yeah. Dumbo so she clearly doesn't have a problem with them and I'm not going to argue with that if I wanted to be the kind of woke twat who lectures black people on what is and isn't racist I'd just tweet abuse at Leslie Jones like everybody else does can I just say that Jim is a shit name for a crow though yes they did try in 1960 after the accusations of racism to claw it back at Disney by trying to rename him Dandy, Dandy Crow. Well, I think but it was too little too late. It's just, you know, wouldn't you call it like Chris Crow? That'd be better, wouldn't it? A bit of alliteration. <laughs> There'd just be a better name to call him unless you were just like, let's just base it on this racist I don't know character. if uh, the listeners are aware that Jen also has a part-time job naming animals at zoos. <laughs> I do, it's true, yeah. It's all about the alliteration, isn't it? Anyway... Mm-hmm. Sorry. So if we completely take the crows out and just ask the question, is it still racist? Mm -hmm. Then the answer is categorically yes, because there's an astounding piece of racism earlier on when the circus sets up in one town or another and all the rousties, to use the technical term, are black and faceless and sing a song about slavery. Which I think we can all agree is fucking disgraceful. It is disgraceful. The line, we slave until we're almost dead... They, they didn't even give them faces. They haven't even got faces. What were you thinking, oh, Walt? Other okay, than okay, Disney. Apart you know, from I'm superior. And yeah. oh, Hitler's a nice lad, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, pretty much. And the defence that's quite often used against the crows being racist is that they're actually heroes. They are good to Dumbo, and they actually sort of help him work out how not to get bullied anymore. And for the time it was made in 1941. That came just a couple of years after Congress actually voted down a proposed bill to outlaw lynching. 
So the fact that the crows are happy-go-lucky, they're not anyone's man Friday, they're doing their own thing, they, they've got their own agency, was seen as like quite a big, quite a big positive. And so that's what the defence has been. And then you're like, uh, the rouseabouts, though, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. That You know the song about slavery and not giving people faces? Yeah, you've not got away with this. No. Uh, there's actually more about the uh, lynching laws in a piece I wrote about Eleanor Roosevelt, which you'll find on the standard issue website. It is an excellent piece. It's really good. I mean, um, I know I'm biased, but you know, Hannah's awesome. Well, Eleanor Roosevelt's awesome, so it's easy, or was awesome, so it's easy and to And come on now, guys. Come on now, guys. I think we can all agree that Dumbo is a great film if you're a racist on acid. <laughs> can you just repeat what you just said? What year did you say they voted down the thing? 1939. It's because it, hell. no, no, no. Lynching was lynching was illegal. D- uh, clearly, lynching yeah, it was, was illegal. Because like murdering people is yeah. illegal. Though it was frowned upon, Jen. Yeah, but, in a legal sense. But it was not a federal crime. It was a, a dealt with by local local police. police. So who were all state cops? Yeah. So yeah. there there is no mandatory sentencing for it. So you would get people who would be found guilty of it and then just be let off with a slap on the wrist. So if you read it a federal law, they could impose mandatory sentences on it. That would Surely murder is murder. Well, you'd think. It's almost like they were that black people were considered second-class citizens, if if indeed that, Jen. Oh, my dear yes. Lord. Yeah. Horrific. Right. Yeah. So let's get, off, right, let's get off racism and move on to sexism. Awesome. Yeah. A little bit of light relief. Yeah. Come on. So while I was watching this, now, again, sorry, Jen, because you, uh, you have not watched Orphan Black, but you... And um, possibly, if you're listening, you haven't watched Orphan Black. You absolutely should. You absolutely this should. Podcast, In Orphan Black, no spoilers, but there are a set of clones, and they they have something wrong with them, and they do something called glitching. And in order to check whether they are glitching, they are asked two questions, or given two statements, and then asked a question. And I couldn't stop thinking about this the whole way through. And the questions here would be: If all elephants are women, and all bitches are elephants, are all women bitches? <laughs> The elephants are cunts, aren't they? They're really horrible and they are all women, except for Dumbo. He's lovely, but he's a boy. And the mum, who is just this this mute saint. Oh, come on, she says one word. She says the word jumbo. Yeah, and she's entirely without personality, um, all of which is wildly inaccurate display of women, but also of elephants, who are incredibly loving and loyal animals. So it's elephantist as well. Uh, no, elephants are amazing. Yeah, well elephants do, do a thing where if one of them dies, because they all hang around in a gang, and if one of them dies in the wild, they revisit its bones, yeah. like go to its grave, and sometimes they take a bone with it, and if they take a bone, they carry it until they fucking die. Yeah, the elephant's graveyard. once. <laughs> was the elephant all right with that? Um, it was in a safari park in Spain. It was like, I'm going to say it was an adolescent elephant because it was smaller than the big elephants, but it wasn't a baby. Could it fly? It couldn't. It was really nice. It was fine with me. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I mm-hmm. thought it was good. Elephants are great. So the last issue is, oh, this animal, is, is animal cruelty. Oh, no. Well, this isn't where it's we like, disagree at all. It's like sitting on an elephant little, in a safari park. Possibly. Yeah, that's what I'm not sure possibly. that it's a good thing to do. Um, it's fine. No, it sounds kind of ridiculous because obviously it's a cartoon. But when it features the joke of a creature being shoved into a carriage way too small for it and animals being treated like some sort of mammal version of the red arrows... 
I did. I just didn't animals, like it. Animals in circuses, because I, I, I bloody love a circus, and I'm in a circus, and I love it. But animals in circuses are banned in the UK. You're yeah, not allowed to have bad. animals in circuses because bad. of the animal cruelty. But they're allowed across other parts of the world. You yeah. still get animals in circuses. They're just not allowed in the UK. Yeah. And. Obviously, in any situation like this, you get some circuses who will treat their animals beautifully and the animals will have a really nice life and they will be like pets, whatever you think of that with wild animals or what should be wild animals. But whenever you get someone who's allowed to do that, you're going to get someone taking the piss. That is very recent, though. Yeah, it's it very, very recent. recent. I was going to say, it did used to just be. It was based like basically on a town-by-town basis. I don't know the law, but I do know that I used to work at DEFRA writing letters and there and this was about 2006 and we used to get a lot of letters about banning animals in circuses so any law is since 2006 so it's very recent mm. yeah. and I think maybe it was exactly what you said but mm. enough cities did it that it just doesn't become financially feasible for yeah. a circus to tour when I uh, when I was in the jungle in Bolivia uh, an animal sanctuary we had a lion brought in and she had been a circus lion and she'd been kept in a really, really tiny cage that was way too small for her. And so the first thing that we did at the sanctuary was allow her a bigger space and she freaked the fuck out. She was so unhappy because she was used to being confined and so against everything that we wanted to do, we had to put her in a bigger cage than she was used to and just kind of make the cages gradually bigger and bigger so she got used to having it and it's just heartbreaking mm. it's absolutely heartbreaking don't sit on any more elephants Jen it's only a kid the ending like. is like I said the ending is really rushed you know Dabo flies he takes his revenge on the other animals and then he signs a Hollywood contract and then he chooses to stay with the circus and he just buys his mother a flashy train carriage which he puts on the end which I reckon is probably Disney's way of reminding staff who the boss is Yeah. which incidentally no voice actors get any credit for this which is yet another reason to, to raise your eyes at it and if there's any hope in this in, in Dumbo it might be that there is a live action version coming of it which will be directed by Tim Burton and you can only assume it does something to remedy the racism and the sexism. I don't think it can do anything to remedy the idea that animals are in a circus, but yeah, they um, have it. Michael Keaton is going to play the main villain, right, apparently. And Who's I'm like, the main there villain? There isn't a villain. The ringmaster, I think, they're going to make into a villain. Oh, okay. I mean, he's a bit of an arsehole, but he's not a villain. Will he be dressed as Beetlejuice, do you think? All the time. Mm. That's his offstage mm. or offscreen persona. I have a couple of things. Uh, when Dumbo fires pen- peanuts penises when Dumbo fires peanuts at the clowns my grandma used to do that with grape pips she'd eat a load of grapes and just keep the pips in her mouth and then she'd go come over here I've got something to tell you and you'd just innocently go up to her my grandma was in a hospital bed and she would just like machine gun fire grape pips in your face she was ace did anyone lose an eye um just only two of us it's all fine it's all fine enough and there's something about Dumbo that Dunleavy and I disagree on I fucking love and stand by loving the pink elephants on parade because it is trippy as fuck. It's really yeah. Hostile. People say it's trippy, but it's not. That's not what happens. <laughs> it's really well, not. Everyone has a different LSD and acid are very very subjective. So it might not be your trip, but it's really hostile and quite terrifying. Like elephants, oh, it's definitely scary. Yeah, basically, the pay into booze. Booze is the hero in this film. If Dumbo didn't get pissed. He wouldn't have the hangover and have flown into a tree, yeah. the realisation yeah. that he could fly. So the 
Booze unlocks Dumbo's gift. It is a terrible message for kids and adults, but that little bit of animation, five minutes out of a 64-minute long film, is dedicated to someone just having a fucking laugh at Disney. It's amazing for me, but you're not a fan. Uh, no, I wasn't a fan. I just the whole, I just, I hated the whole thing basically from start to finish, which may be reflected in my score. Well, I feel like I've been queued up to ask you what score are you giving it. I'm going to give it one, and that's only because it uses the word climax so much it made me laugh. <laughs> which is really weird because there is no climaxing, only stalks. Yeah. <laughs> one what? One. Why don't you just go ahead and call a character apartheid while you're at it? Out of five. <laughs> I was going to say lovely stuff, but not about racism, no. about, about your or score. Or apartheid. Or apartheid. Well, part and parcel are the same but, thing, isn't it? You know. i got a funny story about the word apartheid. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> are you all right, If Jen? you can yeah. believe it. A friend of mine, uh, she lives in the Netherlands with her boyfriend. Who, the Netherlands? Who is Dutch. Obviously, if you've ever been to the Netherlands, you'll know that everybody speaks about 5,000 different languages there. You can just get around speaking English. But she's decided to make an effort. She was going to try and learn Dutch. So she was at a night class, and they, the teacher said, "Now, it, what kind of Brit is she learning to speak the language I know, of the place she lives? I know she's hell. a fucking traitor, yeah. but she doesn't appreciate a blue passport Jeez. and a bendy banana." Yeah. So she, the the guy said to her, "It's actually quite hard to learn Dutch." He said, "Because you know, with German, patronising, no, but with German, with French, with Italian, there's already quite a lot of words already in our language." He said, "There's basically no Dutch words in the English language." He said, "There's one." Dutch word in the English language and does anyone know what it is and she's like really competitive she, she was like oh, oh I want to say something I want to say something and um, and she said that there's like a word that her boyfriend uses which is a word like nook which means shag and she thought well it's like nookie yeah. right so it must be that so she says she like puts her hand up and goes me 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 and she says is it is it nook like nookie like sex and apparently everybody in the room stayed really quiet and the man said no it's apartheid <laughs> Which is very like Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people get fucked. That's our show for this week. Thanks very much for listening. If you find yourself thinking, oh man, I wish they'd spoken to that brilliant Libby Liebird for longer, then I have some good news for you, which is that uh, longer, indeed, fuller, more interesting version of that interview will be uploaded as our Sunday Chops this week. Here's one more plug for for good measure for our show on Sunday. But if you can't make it to that, we do have plenty of other shows. Uh, You will find all the details at uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. Um, We've got loads of upcoming shows. We've got some brilliant people. Jennifer Saunders, Bridget Christie, Fern Britton, Saran Jones, all sorts. So get stuck in. Might make a nice Christmas present, you know, if you don't want to go out shopping. Because let's face it, who does? I went to Ikea on Saturday. It was freaking chaos already. So, yeah, if you want to just sit from the comfort of your own home, buying tickets for all the women that you like. Um, yeah, I fully endorse that. Join us next week when we've got loads of great stuff, uh, including uh, our Jen is talking to actress Susie Wacoma, who is brilliant. And also, Dottie Winters got some tips for Scottish people no longer living in Scotland for how to celebrate St Andrew's Day. So, until next week, um, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, rate us on iTunes, and stay frosty. 
Standard Issue for all women.